As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. It is Wednesday, January 6th, and we have a new Heisman Trophy winner, a new member of the fraternity. We'll get to that in a second. This is Football and Grits, the SEC's football podcast from The Athletic. Uh, I'm your host, David Ubbin, joined as always on Wednesdays by Josh Kendall, our South Carolina writer. Josh, uh, weird timing, a weird Zoom Heisman ceremony. Uh, the whole thing was a little odd, um, but we have a new Heisman Trophy winner, a new member of the most exclusive fraternity in sports. What do you make of uh, Devontae Smith joining that group? I'm happy about it for a variety of reasons. Two two main reasons. Number one, he's the guy I voted for, so I like feeling right and patting myself on the back a little bit. That's <laughs> always nice to start the new year. And secondly, I'm just glad to sort of break the quarterback stranglehold. I've been frustrated for a while. We've mentioned I've mentioned it to you this year on this podcast that it's become just a quarterback only award. That's frustrating to me because of the players like Devontae Smith. So I'm happy to sort of break that cycle, especially in a year where there's some really good quarterbacks. It's not like there weren't good quarterback candidates, mm-hmm. but I'm a little bit heartened to to see that we yes we can give the Heisman Trophy to somebody who is not a quarterback. Yeah, I uh, I've been against that for quite some time. Um, the 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 quarterbackness of it, the best player on the best team uh, of it. I hate that uh, Heisman. So this year was interesting. I also voted for Devontae Smith, number one. But I had Kyle Pitts, number two, on my ballot. I was surprised. Me and uh, six other people of the 927 Heisman uh, voters had Kyle Pitts second. Only 11 people on his ballot. I was I was surprised to see that. I voted Najee Harris third. Uh, I felt like he was, you know, it's tough with these Bama backs because they all do similar things. But if you watch him and you watch, even when he's running behind that offensive line, uh, to me, he looked like a guy that made plays on his own. He looked like, to me, the best running back that we've seen at Alabama, other than Derrick Henry. 
in the Saban era. And when you looked at some of the other quarterbacks, you know, Trevor Lawrence had a great year, but he, he wasn't very tested. I didn't like the competition in the ACC. That's what kind of held me back. Plus, obviously, he missed some games. I wasn't that impressed. I, I feel like they were kind of bullying their competition. Uh, you know, not his fault, but the best player in college football I didn't think he was this year. And then you look around, Mac Jones, Kyle Trask, for me, it was pretty simple. I mentioned this on, on Monday's show, but it, I didn't think either of those guys were the best player on their team. I feel like, obviously, Kyle Pitts is the best player on Alabama's, I mean, on Florida's team. And Mac Jones, obviously, I felt like was the third best player, maybe even the fourth best player if we're getting real, talking about Alex Leatherwood. Might even be the fourth best player on his own offense. So that's so, where I so landed. Here, so hear me, out, hear me out here on, on a couple of your points. Number one, Najee Harris is spectacular. And mm-hmm. I do think Mac Jones is very good. Which is why, after a little bit of soul-searching, I voted a straight Alabama ticket for the first time in my life, in my Heisman voting life. And I don't know if I'm the only one, but I struggled with it. But I went Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, Mac Jones. Because they were the three most outstanding players in college football. To me, it didn't feel... Right, but the longer I've sat on that vote, I feel fine with it. Yeah, I think this was a this is an interesting Heisman vote because I felt very strongly that Devonte should win. I, I felt like if you don't have Devonte number one, I don't I don't love that ballot. Uh, I, I Devonte was the best player in college football this year. That seemed obvious to me. Playing an all SEC schedule, the numbers he was able to put up, and then when Jalen Waddle gets hurt, all that defense's focus goes into him. And he's still getting to be over the top of the defense, still making plays. It felt pretty obvious to me he was the best player. But beyond that, there's about 15 guys I think you can you can rationalize voting second and third. And so, you know, I felt like this was a year where we saw that voting spread out. And there were a lot of defensible second and third I, place votes. But I... I'm not even sure, like, the word outstanding in the ballot means something to me because, you know, and this may be another slightly controversial take, although it won't be controversial on this podcast. If I was over on our Atlantic and Coastal <laughs> podcast, it might be controversial. But I believe Trevor Lawrence is the best college football player in the country. I believe I the too. Jacksonville Jaguars will agree with me. I believe mm-hmm. his bank account will agree with me. I think he is the best football player and the best quarterback in the country but I do not think he was one of the three most outstanding players this year that word means something to me I would argue I I could argue that Najee Harris is more important to the Alabama offense than Devontae Smith because you know at midseason we did something about how you know how do you stop this defense how do you stop this Alabama offense and people like David Pollock people like Gene Chizik people who are smarter than me said Najee Harris is what makes it go. Najee Harris is spectacular. But I think Devontae Smith was the most outstanding player in college football because he's the guy that made my jaw drop more than anybody else. And for me, that's the Heisman Trophy. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you're probably right. I, I, I'd be curious. Did you guys do that before or after the Waddle injury? We did that uh before the Waddle injury, so that was the after. Was I, I wonder. I wonder if people's if if people's answer to that might change um, without Waddle because without Waddle, you know, you see him go down, and everything's like, well, you know, we'll see. Alabama's gonna have a tough time beating these elite teams with no Waddle, who might actually be back for the for the uh, national championship game. TBD on that front, but certainly some hope there. 
I wonder if there. I wonder if people would have thought differently with no Waddle because you look back at this um, uh, core receivers from last year. You have Henry Ruggs. You have Jerry Judy. You have Devontae Smith. You have uh, obviously Jalen Waddle. I, I think as time passes, that's going to be an all-time receiver group. The oh, there's there's group. there's no question what Alabama has done in sort of remaking the way that they do things from linebacker and Terrence Cody U to in you know seemingly the blink of an eye to we're just gonna recruit every wide receiver in the country and we're gonna Mm -hmm. fill up every NFL wide receiver room in the country with our guys has been absolutely remarkable yeah and this year Smith is the only guy left in that group and defenses tried to stop him every single week and they couldn't do it um, but I think Harris I think Harris is a big reason for that. Again, I will go back. I, I'll sit here and bang the drum for Harris, even though I voted for Smith and I'm with you. You know, I, Najee Harris is so, so good. And I, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't want him to get lost in this conversation with Devontae Smith and Mac Jones, which is, which is why I wanted to make sure he was on, he was on my ballot. Yeah, I don't, I don't begrudge the people who voted Trask number one or on their ballot, but I will say, Watching the Cotton Bowl, I felt better about leaving him off off of my ballot because he might have been on it at different times. Um, but you know, obviously, a lot of opt outs, a lot of those things. But we'll get to the Cotton Bowl and Dan Mullen soon, don't we? Yeah, uh, opt outs aren't what made him throw uh, three picks in the what was the first quarter, right? So yeah, uh, yes. So before we before we go to Dan Mullen because I do I do love to talk about Dan Mullen he has provided excellent fodder for us <laughs> I want to I want to stop and and put a this is sort of related to Dan Mullen in in that you know we've got an increasingly entertaining in a weird and aggravating way Dan Mullen we've got Lane Kiffin we've got Mike Leach I'm still holding out hope for Hugh Freeze and David you're my last chance you're my last <laughs> hope for getting Hugh Freeze into the league at this point. I didn't think Texas – I mean, I, I didn't think the hiring, the firing cycle was going to start in college football. And I, I was wrong about that. And then I thought kind of last week it was over. Well, Texas proved that I was wrong about that. Is it, Do I have any hope that Tennessee is going to bring me Hugh Freeze as a late Christmas present this year? Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Well, uh, to the Hugh Freeze question, I-, I would put a gigantic maybe on that. I um, realize there's I... a step one in this process. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, I, I think... Tennessee is an interesting place. I think Tennessee probably is going to give you an opening uh, in time, but it's been a while since I've talked to anybody, you know, uh, 
inside that would sort of know the situation at Tennessee. I, it's been a while since I've talked to anybody that has a lot of optimism about Jeremy Pruitt returning in 2021. Um, that it's going to happen. Aren't right we now, getting late? Aren't we getting late in that game? We though? are. I mean, in, well, in, in reality, in, in, we are. But that's the deal with this investigation that's going on. We the story broke um, right as the, the Texas A and M game started, and and when it happened, nobody was really quite sure what to make of it. But the more people I talked to, you know, it seems like sham is probably an unfriendly word, but I think it's a, a – most everyone that I've talked to believes that it is a ploy to get Pretense. out of the buyout. Pretense, yes. perhaps a better – a good word. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're investigating the things that you sort of hear are things that happen on a lot of SEC campuses. Um, and – if Jerry Pruitt goes seven and three, I don't believe he's being investigated right now. I don't buy that. Um, well, this is the SEC, after all. Yes, I mean, it is. As I sit here in the middle of South Carolina, I can't help but see similarities between what's happened here. I mean, this is just this is just the Tennessee scenario one year ahead. A Will Muschamp or a, a Nick Saban defensive assistant whose reaction to struggles is to more and more emulate the old boss which means tightening the controls and tightening the fist and working harder and grinding harder and and when you when you you get to a point when you're struggling where that just cracks everything just cracks under that pressure and that's yeah. what happened at South Carolina and as I sit here looking north northwest it looks to me like that's what's happening in Knoxville yeah, I think Jerry Pruitt, you know, he's a guy that's very headstrong, got very confident in his own ability. And when things go bad, his his instinct is to tighten his grip. And he had a lot of influence on the offense this year. You know, he can sort of deny it if he likes, but that that he had a lot of influence. Exactly what that influence was is sort of up to your perspective, but he had a lot of influence on the offense. And it's, um, you know, it's it's it, – that that's sort of been his Achilles heel. We saw it in 2018, um, and we didn't see it much. And, and it seemed like in 2019 that he had sort of learned some lessons. And uh, but things were going good for most of the back half of that season. You know, in the middle of that season, uh, they were not in a great spot. The schedule opened up a little bit, and I I felt like at the time, you know, I was trying to uh, you know, as you uh, people ask you go on radio, you're writing about it. Six wins in a row in the SEC is really impressive. It is. But he also didn't beat a top 25 team. And when you start handing out extensions for that, you're, you're looking around going, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, again, we've talked about this. Andy Staples wrote a great piece um, about, you know, the, the questions every AD should ask before he gives out an extension. And... I don't think that it happened at Tennessee. I've always believed that ha- you give one out. Again, you give one out if your guy here. does something special or if he is if somebody's trying to take him away. And that wasn't happening at Tennessee. Same same thing. Again, the parallel is is almost exact. Will Muschamp wins 9 games in the second year, gets an extension. Uh, you know, our our producer John Hayes, I think as we discussed this, coined the phrase fomentum, fake momentum. I mean, it just that that this Tennessee team coming into this year felt and looked a lot to me like that South Carolina team coming off of that nine win year, and which was a lot of optimism based on circumstance, maybe more than reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now we're here, and I think Jeremy Pruitt's allies are uh, 
that's a list that's dwindling, I think, a little bit. Um, and now he's got lawyers on his campus uh, investigating players, his assistants. Uh, doesn't sound like he has sat down with them yet. Um, I would imagine that that's coming eventually. Well, no, the, the SEC playbook is you just refuse to talk to the lawyers. That's, <laughs> we're, I, I think he should go full Will Wade. I don't know. Can you do that with an internal investigation, though? I'm not sure. He might be handing cause over to them if you won't talk to I didn't them. Know I don't you know. Could, I didn't know you could question. do that with the NCAA and just say, no, I'm not. No, <laughs> go away. I'm not. Nobody's here. Show me the subpoena, which they can't get. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah, so it's so I think at Tennessee, they're sort of dragging their feet. I think the administration in some ways is is not – either they're not realizing or they're, they're taking a gamble that may not be worth it of, of – Everyone's losing right now. The fans are losing. They're sitting here in this limbo, frustrated every day. The coaches, it's really difficult on the coaches. They're asked to come to work, sort of act like everything's normal. It's not normal. It's not. And then recruiting is extremely difficult because you're sitting there and you can't have answers to these questions that people like you and me are talking about. And then especially on terms of the transfer portal, which is basically the second recruiting season that Tennessee is trying to get in the mix for. That's really tough. And then Jeremy Pruitt... You know, I think hiring assistant coaches is the the truest tell of if he's going to come back in 2021. It's, you know, he doesn't I don't think he believes right now that there are any roadblocks to him hiring a coach, but I'll believe it when I see the board of uh, trustees sign off on an actual contract for an assistant coach. Um because I don't know that that is something that is going to happen in the near future with this investigation still looming. So, how long does this investigation go is sort of the question. And it's not a question that I have heard a lot of great answers for, but at some point, you got to figure something out or make a move. Um, you know, there's a there's a sort of a, a the PG thirteen uh, expression for where Tennessee's got to go on this, and and right now it's it's I feel bad for everyone stuck in limbo. You know, granted that's for myself as well, trying to figure out what all is going on and trying to keep track of all this, but. There's people whose livelihoods, I mean, players see this, they they understand this, and it's it's. Um, I feel bad for them because this sort of purgatorial existence is brutal on everyone, and everyone's losing because of it. Well, we we feel bad for you a little bit too, David, but but also <laughs> I think I speak for a some segment of the SEC population when I say it's great to have old school SEC coaching intrigue and just get into the muck and the mire. I mean, this is this is very SEC. What's going on at Tennessee right now is super SEC. And I mentioned early on, earlier in the show, that I I like it that we've got a lot of charisma at the moment in the coaching ranks, which is why I I really hope that the NFL doesn't take Dan Mullen from us because I mean he has been a hoot this year. Mm-hmm. In the, uh, I don't quote Darren Ravel often on this podcast. I don't plan on making that a a habit. But you know, Dan Mullen, the Tennessee situation really fits into the. Uh, I feel bad for our country, but this is tremendous content pocket. And Bingo. Dan Mullen has been tremendous content this season. So it's a little bit like losing Lane Kiffin to the West Coast. Uh, you know, he's out, he's out there tweaking Urban Meyer. He's, uh, you know, saber-rattling a handful of other coaches across the SEC. Dan Mullen taking a different approach, but an equally entertaining approach. So uh, we'll see. We talked about this earlier in the week, but what do you make of of the Dan Mullen to the NFL rumors, which seem to be uh, gaining steam with a light murmur at this point? This may be a little inside baseball, but 
we at The Athletic, I think, have an NHL beat writer opening, and I've heard Dan Mullen's name attached to that as well. <laughs> I, I say that clearly in jest because there has not been a football job open in the country in the last decade, I don't think, that Dan Mullen's name has not been linked to. He can control that narrative. He clearly likes his name out there, whether it's because he wants a raise or an extension or he just likes to see his name in the newspaper, which some people do, you know, in the newspapers that still exist. I know, I'm dating myself there. In the but apps, how about that? In the apps, yes. <laughs> he just likes to see his name in the athletic. We'll change it to that. So yeah. I think that's where we are with Dan Mullen. I don't see that as a serious situation. Um, I mean, he's a scheme guy. I don't. Nothing I say about Dan Mullen is meant to take away the fact that I do think he's a really good offensive scheme guy. Mm-hmm. And the NFL is really in the market for really good offensive scheme guys. So if you're somewhere like Jacksonville where you want to hire, this is just you know a powerful general manager, NFL-type general manager, and stick a head coach in there who will sit in the in the whiteboard and just do that job and shut up. Well, that's not really Dan Mullen, the shutting up. But you, a guy who you can control, for lack of a better word. Maybe Dan Mullen is your hire, but I'm <laughs> I'm not buying it. I, I think a lot of the college football coaches, one of the things that they struggle with when they do go to the pros is losing that lack of control. You're not the most important guy in the room anymore. You know, your most expensive player usually is. You know, if you take that Green Bay Packers job, you know, even if you're Dabo Swinney, Dabo Swinney, even with Trevor Lawrence there, he's the most important guy on campus. He has all the power. He can do all those things. Well, you take that Packers job, all of a sudden you're pretty expendable. What Aaron Rodgers wants, what Aaron Rodgers wants to do, um, that carries the most weight. Um, an imperfect example, I suppose. He can't always orchestrate everything, like having them draft a receiver. But he's still the most important guy in the room. And I think that dynamic – a lot of college coaches struggle with, and especially guys that have run their own program for long periods of time, I think that can be an issue. I don't think there's any question, and I think we mentioned this last week or maybe two weeks ago, that one of the big draws to college coaching for these guys is that 101% control, total Mm -hmm. and complete control. And that is more important to them than some of the other quote-unquote negative sides of the job, which is 24-hour recruiting, 365 days a week, et cetera, et cetera. So if that control in the college ranks is to, is just chipped from 100% to 90%, do the negatives then become more important so you see guys who are more willing to say, well, if I don't have 100% control, I might as well go work for Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville and just be a football coach. Mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think we might be somewhere along a – uh, near a tipping point in that equation at least with some coaches um but dan mullen to me seems like a guy who would be willing to give up that part of it to be an nfl head coach to to sort of make that jump i don't think dan mullen's gonna turn down an nfl job i'm just skeptical right now that somebody in the nfl is gonna pull that trigger you might be right um because i think too i think the one thing that pushes a lot of college coaches too is even if you fail spectacularly at the next level, you're still a hot commodity when you come back. Ask Hotter, Chip maybe. Kelly. Yeah, ask Chip Kelly. Ask Steve Sperger. Ask uh, this guy named Nick Saban, who I've heard does a good job uh, in, in college football. I mean, he did not do well in the NFL, and you would have thought that when he was hired that Alabama hired, you know, uh, 
John Lennon as their head coach. You know, that's – and granted, looking back in hindsight, they were right. They got the guy they thought they got. It's not a Michigan Jim Harbaugh situation where that the Jim Harbaugh reception at Michigan felt similar to the Nick Saban reception at Alabama. Out, outcomes very very different, um, but sometimes things do work out like you thought. And so even if he goes to the pros and it doesn't work out, I think he's going to be okay. <laughs> and I think that's that's something that you have to think about that 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 could push him in that direction. You're, are you are you foreshadowing uh, Alabama offensive coordinator Adam Gase? Is that, is that what you're doing here? <laughs> So where does Adam oh, Gay? If we really want to, if we really want to look around the corner and be forward, forward thinking here, let's talk about what SEC team is Adam Gase the head coach of in 2023. But that's probably we're probably getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a little. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, don't rule out Ole Miss Lane. Lane, uh, Lane, anything could happen there. Lane could be, you know, uh, unemployed or the head coach of. Any number of top ten programs by that time, so we'll see. Uh, I wanted to, t- to talk a little bit about the title game this week. Um, we're what five days out? Well, depending on depending knock, on COVID tests, knock in theory. On wood. Yeah, exactly. Um, but our colleague Bruce Feldman, one of the greats, uh, had a fantastic piece this week. He talked to a dozen coaches um, about Alabama, about just their perceptions of them. Uh, what did you take away from that, and, and how did that change how you view um, this week's I, this week's in uh, in air quotes, I suppose, for now, uh, national title game? Well, I lo- for starters, I love those pieces. I love that. Me the, too. Given Some of the, the best things we do, I think. Yeah, giving smart people the um, chance to talk without um, – you know, feeling like they have to filter themselves and giving you, uh, you know, really intelligent stuff. But what the piece did was kind of confirm what we, what I thought about Alabama, and I think everybody thought about Alabama, which is this is, you know, when you face Alabama, this is the problem. And oh, yeah, this is also the problem. And oh, yeah, this is also the problem. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah, there's this too. You know, from an offensive standpoint, they are a machine. Um, but, you know, we we have thought I have thought Alabama was invincible before. Um, I thought Clemson was going to really thump, or or at least you know outpace Ohio State. So I'm I hope that I'm wrong about what I think Alabama is at the moment because I would love to see Ohio State give them a game. Yeah, I think this is going to be the 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 sort of final exam for this defense. I I don't. I don't necessarily agree that Ohio State is going to be able to just score at will like they did against Clemson. No. Uh, I, I think people watch that Ohio State-Clemson game and say, oh, there's going to be 80 points in the national championship game. I, I, I'm not so sure. I'm, I, I don't know that I believe that. I think Ohio State was so dominant on the line of scrimmage, and Clemson didn't do a lot to affect the pocket, not enough at least, um, and really forced – you know. Uh, uh, Justin Fields to throw, you know, off balance or or throw on the run as much as they probably should have or or needed to to get that win. Well, Alabama, we've seen their 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 defensive front and of course their offensive front be tested. You know, you wonder can Ohio State make them miss Landon Dickerson a little bit more? Uh, possibly, I, I think that's that's definitely a possibility. Um, but I don't think that they're going to see you're going to see them win the line of scrimmage as much as they did against Clemson. I think that. 
more than the weapons, more than Justin Fields making some spectacular throws, that is why they put up so many points on Clemson. And I just don't think they're going to be able to do that to Alabama. I think this game is going to be a little – I think Bama is going to score, but I think it's going to be a little bit lower scoring than people think. Um, and uh, there's going to be some teams getting some stops. And Clemson well, – how many – that's my question. Is I, I think this is a stops game. And mm-hmm. I don't think Alabama's defense has got to get that many stops. I, don't I think either. if they get what's what's your number four four if probably yeah. so the over under so you're telling Nick Saban he's got to stop four drives and he'll win another national championship that for me that's what it comes down to I think that 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 defense is not what we've seen in the past or maybe it is and offenses are just completely different but I still believe that Alabama can get four stops yeah I think this seems like a forty one twenty seven type of game you know how's he going to put points up but the the sort of just fling it and cash your points, like we saw against Clemson, that that's not going to happen. You know, Patrick Sertan. Don't break is, my heart. Don't break my heart. <laughs> I really want fifty-two to fifty. I know I, it might happen. I, I, the way I was watching that Clemson Ohio State game, I will say, you know, I felt like Clemson had the uh, had the ability to run away with it, but I thought it's either going to be a Clemson route or it's going to be really close. And if it's close, I like Ohio State. But I did not. I did not see a scenario in which Ohio State just planted them like they did and you know I think that says more about Clemson than it said about Ohio State I think Clemson the ACC was weak this year I think Clemson was was coasting on some lifetime achievement awards and hadn't really played anybody and they played the first you know real tough team that they had played and they filled that test they filled it on the line of scrimmage and I think Ohio State dominating that game it it didn't change how I see Ohio State versus Alabama it it changed what I thought of Clemson um, it changed well, what I thought so about Ohio State at Alabama in that I we saw peak Justin Fields, I think, for the first yeah. time. And that's what you're mm-hmm. going to have to have, maybe even another peak. I mean, maybe he's even got to find another peak against Alabama, but at least that Bama's Justin DBs Fields are me just hope. better than Clemson's. That's, that's the thing that, that stands out to me. Yeah. I, I don't know that you're going to have receivers popping over the top like that. Olave, uh, Garrett Wilson, st- you know, struggling to tackle in the second level. I, I don't think you're going to see that with Alabama. Uh, and I think that, you know, people watch that game, and I think their eyes bulge a little bit. Ohio State talented, a really good team, but uh, this Alabama team is a machine. Um, you, ask, you, you ask coaches, you talk to people. I, I'm surprised that that many people in the football world agree that this is Nick Saban's best team. And when that happens, I just don't see them losing this game. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I I don't think that we that the SEC people have to root for Alabama. I think that that's overblown. <laughs> yeah. Um I, I think it would be good to break the 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 stranglehold. Um I know Ohio State's not exactly an outsider, but um I think that there might be some long They're outside of the South, I guess. Yeah, some long-term <laughs> value in somebody else. Um but I think that this is another Alabama win. Nick Saban Playing NCAA 14 on Dynasty Mode while the rest of us sit and watch. <laughs> well, that will do it for today's show. Thank you guys for subscribing. Thank you for uh, tuning into the show. If you're not already subscribed, you should do that. Get this show delivered every weekday to your device uh, from whatever podcast purveyor you choose. And if you're not subscribed to The Athletic, you should change that. You can read Bruce's piece on uh, Alabama. With the perspective of a dozen coaches, it's really interesting stuff. You can read Josh's stuff, my stuff, uh, all kinds of stuff. We'll be uh, taking you through the off season. Do that at theathletic.com slash grits. Thank you guys for listening again. For Josh Kendall, I'm David Oven. We'll see you again on Thursday. Myself and Mitch Light will be back talking more SEC football on Football and Grits. We'll see you then. Mm-hmm.